Well, once again, a, a huge, huge welcome to our Resurrection Sunday service here at Elam Christian Center in Blenheim. And again, wherever you're joining us from, whether you're local or national or international, God bless you. You are so welcome here. Thank you for joining us online today. It is an absolute blessing and a privilege to have you join us. Hey, can we, can we just welcome our online fun out this morning? Hey, come on. <laughs> we, um, within, within our Christian faith, there are two custom-made seasons or times of the year that are just pivotal, absolutely pivotal for our faith. Obviously, Christmas, when Jesus arrived on earth as a human being in the, in the form of a baby, um, and then this weekend here, and it's, there's so much that we can think about in both of them, but in full, the fullness of our Christian faith, we need to think about both of them together in completion. And when we think about the events of Easter and the immeasurable love of God, when you think about he arrived as a baby, the, the immeasurability of his love to come in such a fragile and a vulnerable form in that of a child, a baby child. I mean, <laughs> is there anyone out here, any mums or dads, dads particularly? We're used to, if you're a farmer, you're used to wrangling animals and humping fence posts and throwing firewood, and then suddenly you get this little thing in your hands. Was there any other dads out there that when you held your baby for the very first time, you were utterly terrified you were going to drop it? Oh, good, I'm not the only one. <laughs> but can you imagine the immeasurable love of God and the trust he put in us to come in the form of a baby? It's just kind of mind-blowing. And then we come forward, and the immeasurable love of God and the trust he put in us to put his life again in our hands. Only this time, what did we do with it? We took it. His death and his burial were tragic and horrible. But his resurrection? I mean, if that's not the greatest comeback story that time immemorial has ever known, come on. I mean, think about it. It's the greatest comeback. This beats any sports team who are 40 points behind and winning the game. This beats any Olympic athlete who has already been lapped and yet comes and wins the gold medal. What a blessing. What a blessing we have today to be able to look at the Easter story with the insight of hindsight. What do I mean by that? We know how the story ends. But Jesus' friends didn't have a clue. Well, actually, they did have a lot of clues. Jesus gave them a lot of clues, but they missed them all. <laughs> they missed them all. In our remembering and our celebrating, it's, you know what, it's easy for us to jump straight to the miracle of the resurrection because we know the end of the story. We've got the insight of hindsight, but everybody in that time, all the disciples, every, they had to live through the mess. Anybody felt like they've been living through some mess over the last couple of years? <laughs> last week, Ryan brought, I just like, man, you were on fire last Sunday, bro. That was outstanding. He brought this incredible message about the, the 
utter humility of God, the humility of Jesus, and how last Sunday, when you know, in the calendar of Holy Week, last Sunday Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And that there was such anticipation that filled Jerusalem. Why? Because actually every person living in Jerusalem had been raised in the Torah. They had been raised in the prophecies of how the Messiah would arrive. And then all of a sudden, hello, the guy who they think might be suddenly arrives on a donkey and they're, they're, they're starting to, all the puzzle pieces are starting to come together. I mean, the city was in an uproar. The anticipation and the celebration could not be contained. They shouted with such expectation, Hosanna to the king, which both meant both praise him and save us, as Ryan taught. They had waited and they had prayed for this. But you know what? It was really interesting. Jesus was the king that nobody expected, and he was about to do something even more unexpected. Their hopes could not have been higher Last Sunday. Which meant that their disappointed disappointment could not have been deeper on Friday. Whilst Jesus himself had given them clue after clue after clue, nobody was prepared for the, for the resurrection that would take place. Nobody had planned for the death of Christ before it. But let's just pause for a minute. Let's pause. Let's rewind the tape a little bit and let's not overlook the day between Friday and Sunday. Saturday, a slow start. I love a long coffee on a Saturday morning. Everybody go. (laughs) But then Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath. And because the Sabbath was about to arrive, Jesus had to be buried immediately. He wasn't given a proper burial. He wasn't even given a proper... The disciples couldn't even give him a proper funeral. And they couldn't even say goodbye to their best, most loved friend. Does that sound a little bit familiar to some families over the last 200 years? How close can that get? And if there's any of you who are joining us on site or online this morning and you've had to walk through that because of restrictions and things, you've not been able to gather as whānau, as family and say goodbye properly, we we, we think of you right now. We feel for you right now. That must have been incredibly difficult. What What do you imagine the disciples did on Saturday? On the Sabbath day. Did they sit and talk and talk about the things that Jesus meant to them? Perhaps. Did they sit around and go, dude, you remember when that kid rocked up with his lunch and we gave it to Jesus? We were like, yeah, have, have fun with this. And then suddenly 5,000 people got fed. And how many of you guys, tell me, what were you thinking when we were in the boat and we thought it was going to sink and then Jesus stood up and he just sort of, he just told the wind and the, what to do? And it stopped, and what were you thinking? I wasn't thinking, I was too busy freaking out, you know. I mean, could you, were they doing that? Maybe, maybe they were. But I also wonder, I also wonder, could they have been absolutely terrified 
Because they were associates of Jesus. And were they next? Were they going to get hunted down and crucified too? Maybe. But I wonder if this might be more the case. That actually, honestly, they were just completely and utterly shell-shocked. All the prophecies, all the teaching, all the miracles, the absolute certainty that they had in their hearts. Peter himself, when Jesus said, who, who, do, you, who do you say that I am? And he goes, oh, you are, you are the son of the living God. Nick Minute. I reckon, if nobody else, Peter probably sat there in complete silence, absolutely distraught, almost inconsolable, reeling, reeling in hopelessness, confusion, and maybe even a little bit of anger, especially Peter. I mean, he was a bit of a hothead. I kind of, I kind of pictured this, and I'm, and I'm unpacking this with you because I want you to capture the whole picture, and I want you to kind of lean in and even get within, get your hearts and your minds beginning to prepare your thinking for what's about to come. I reckon Saturday was like the eye of a hurricane. Absolute stillness and virtually complete silence. Utter devastation behind them. And the fear of complete devastation in front of them, like the eye of a hurricane. No doubt, it was the darkest, most empty day of their lives. That entire day seemed where it seemed like grace, truth, peace, love, and hope. All of it was gone and buried, done, finished, over. Now what? I mean, they were so distraught. That they weren't even able, I mean, they'd seen someone raised from the dead, they'd seen the weather obey the voice of Jesus, they'd seen 5,000 people fed with a kid's lunch, um, they'd seen blind eyes ear open, they'd seen crippled people leaping and dancing. But in the depth of their distraught despondency, they didn't, couldn't even connect the dots and the clues that Jesus gave them. It was just completely unimaginable about what was about to come. The thing that was about to take center stage then is still the greatest comeback in all of history. On the other side of Saturday, on the other side of Saturday, wasn't devastation and there wasn't destruction. On the other side of Saturday was victory. Redemption, restoration, true freedom, the establishment of a kingdom that down throughout the ages has been mocked, attacked, and persecuted, and yet it still stands. I think the kids are more excited about that than you. <laughs> it's either that or Amber just told them there's an Easter egg hunt. Here's the thing. We were never meant to live with a partial understanding of Easter. Stopping at the cross. We were never meant to stop at the cross. Now, I hope that statement doesn't offend anyone here. Let me explain why I say that. Yes, Jesus was faithful. And yes, he laid down his life for his sheep as the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. But that's if, if, if. That's where it stopped because the Bible teaches us that he is the perfect lamb of God. We just sang this song. You know, it's, it, we, it talked about a lamb and then it talked about out of, out of the grave, the lion. 
He is both lamb and lion. But if he laid his life down as the perfect lamb, sacrificial lamb, and that's where it stopped, then all we would have is a timeless memorial, something that ended and is remembered. But Jesus did not end. Death could not hold him. (laughs) The grave could not hold him. Satan couldn't keep him locked in. Jesus, the Messiah, rocked the house, and he is alive today. He rose again, conquering death and breaking the shackles of sin. This morning, when you got out of bed and you chose to come to church or you chose to join us online, you did so with the knowledge of the end of the story. You did so with the knowledge of the day of victory and celebration because we know Jesus is alive. We know hope is alive, but they didn't. It wouldn't be an understatement for me to say that everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. So often we focus so much of our attention on the cross. And again, Please hear me. I am not minimizing the cross, not in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely necessary and vital. The work of Jesus on the cross is supremely important, and it must never be minimized. It was on the cross that he paid the debt for our sins, if not the the perfect payment. He was the perfect sinless lamb of God, willing to give himself up as a sacrifice on the altar of eternity on Calvary. Sin, if he had not done that, sin would still have power and control over us. But the cross is not the end of the story. Neither is the cross the moment of the greatest triumph. I'm getting to to the, the, the clincher on this one. I'm getting to the clincher on this one. If you really think about it, the cross itself was the darkest moment in history. The cross, even today... Crucifixion, even today, is still claimed as the worst, most painful form of torture and death ever dreamt up by mankind. You may have heard me say this, but the pain on the cross was so intense, they had to invent a word to describe it. Excruciating was the word that's described it. Excruciating comes from the Latin excrucia, which means of the cross. Because the Son of God had to suffer and die a horrible death, it was able to be written by the Apostle Paul, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus took upon himself all the death for all of humanity, past, present, and future. And for those who were weeping at his feet, and those who were standing cursing and spitting at his feet, for those who had come to recognize him as the Lord and Messiah, and for those who mocked him and jeered him and never would accept him, regardless of what part of the timeline of humanity they lived on. He died for everybody. Again, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They had walked and talked and traveled and eaten and argued and were corrected and disciplined. They had lived with this dude for three whole years and they had come to the conclusion, you're the man and you are God, the God. And all, every single fiber in their being was placed on hope in this this man. And he's dead. 
That was Friday. Sunday was coming. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? In a nutshell, the resurrection is evidence that not just the penalty and the price of sin, which is death, but the power and dominion of sin is over. Remember this. The penalty of sin was laid out right at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. In the garden in Eden, when God spoke to Adam and he said this, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. I've often thought about this. Every tree except the one tree. Beside the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the tree of life. Life eternal. They ate that fruit. In actual fact, it goes on and God, God has this conversation with himself, with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. And, and he says, actually, you know what? At the risk of Adam and Eve eating of the tree of life and living forever, we are now going to kick them out of the garden. Up until that point, they were allowed to eat from that tree. But right there, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, right there, God was saying, it's not your job to decide what is right or wrong. That's my job. I am God. And right there, we know the story. If you're a believer, you know the story. They disobeyed God. They ignored what he had to say. Even that we could say, oh, but, but Eve was deceived. And, and then she ate it and she gave it to Adam. And yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, you know what? They had a choice. It always comes down to choice. And they chose death. No, let, this bring, let me bring this back to Jesus. Had Jesus just died on the cross and stayed in the grave, then the penalty of sin would have been paid. The penalty of sin would have been paid. Just think about every perfect sacrificial lamb that was brought to the temple. Every family, every individual who would bring a lamb to the temple to be sacrificed on the altar in the temple for the covering of sin. Jesus was a perfect sacrificial lamb. He came and he died on behalf of our sin. So if he died and stayed in the grave, guess what? The penalty of sin would have been paid. But the power and the dominion of sin on earth would still be in vogue. Would still be in action. But... That's such a good holy word, eh? But he didn't stay in the grave. I'm preaching better than you're responding today. <laughs> Come on, guys. This is stuff to get excited about. Mark 16, 6. They came to the grave and the angel said, You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. <laughs> I feel, like, I feel like I need to get that mic that guy has in the boxing ring. And he goes, let's get ready to rumble. Okay. Anyway. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? This is where my brain goes sometimes. Can you imagine that? Jesus dies. He's put in the grave. And he descends into the realm of the devil and Hades. I can imagine they were having a party. Yeah, we got him. We got him. We got him. Jesus, just typical Jesus. Just kind of walks in quietly. 
completely unassuming. They're partying all around him. And I could just imagine the angels, like, just lowering the mic down to him. He wouldn't have gone, let's get ready. He would have just gone, hi, guys. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus means that the power and the dominion of sin haven't just been ended. They've been utterly destroyed. And the debt of the original sin back in Genesis chapter 2 or 3, whenever it actually happened, but back at the beginning of the book, every sin acted out from that moment until not the cross, but until today and until Jesus himself returns. Every sin, the power, the penalty, the dominion, the ruling authority of sins broken. The miracle of the resurrection, the greatest comeback of all time, the power of Christ on full display. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul unpacks this incredibly soberingly, 14, verses 14 through 17. If Christ had not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. <laughs> For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Just a little sobering, eh? Well, I want to read verse 19 out of 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read it to you from the message translation. It says this, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. <laughs> Jesus came to fully save, not just pay a debt. He came to save every one of you and every one of you. He didn't just come to pay the debt for your sin. He came to destroy the power and the dominion of sin over your lives. The purpose, his purpose was resurrection power, which meant that his assignment required death. See, we have to think of the entire picture, the whole picture. Because of Jesus, we have hope by not just his death, but because of his resurrection. He stripped sin, sin and he defeated death of its power because he, res he was resurrected from the grave. So this Resurrection Sunday, yes, we remember the, the cost of the cross, but we don't keep our focus there. He is not on the cross anymore. He's not even in the grave anymore. He's on a throne. He is on a throne at the right hand of God, his Father in heaven, as the mediator between you and me and God, our Father in heaven. Because if we didn't have that mediator, we are cooked. Scriptures clearly say there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And he can be that mediator because he's not still hanging on the cross, and he's not still rotting in a grave. He hasn't been entombed in some glass case that we can all walk past and go, ooh-ah, ooh-ah, His grave is empty, and he's seated on a throne. Yeah. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. I also pray that you, this is the Apostle Paul again, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What? Who in their right mind would be happy about that? The joy. What? Really? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I sat and I thought about that verse for so long. And I thought, just think about the word endure. When I think about the word, when someone says, look, you've just got to endure this. You've just got to endure this. I immediately go, okay, that means I've just got to, I've got to work through it. I've got to walk through it. I've got to breathe through it. There's, there, is, there is an exit point. There is an end point. Enduring, there isn't. There. Jesus knew it didn't stop at the cross. He knew that what he was doing, he knew his assignment required death because his purpose empowered resurrection. And because of that, he endured the cross. And the psalmist in Psalm 18 verse 19 says this, He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He endured the cross because he did it for the joy of you. Let that sink in because Jesus delights in you. He has a desire for a relationship with you. He endured the cross, but he didn't stay there. You know, think about, think about a, a pro athlete or an Olympian or a, or a, a, a professional ballet, a ballerina. You know, the, the hours, the hours of training to, just to get on the team or to win a medal or to become the lead ballerina in Swan Lake. Has anyone ever seen an x-ray of a professional ballerina's foot? Honestly, it looks like they've been tortured. They're just, they're this because I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to try it. I got size 12 feet. If I try to get up on my toes, I think I'd fall over and break my ankle over again. But they, you know what? They do it for a momentary joy. Win the medal. Okay, I won the medal. Now what? I've danced the lead in Swan Lake. Now what? But the joy that Jesus brought with the resurrection, it is not momentary. It is eternal. It is eternal. Jesus enduring the cross and the joy that he brings has eternal consequences. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Remember, we get the privilege of reading the Easter story with the insight of hindsight. So let's celebrate the comeback. Let's celebrate worship team. Would you come? Let's celebrate the rescued resurrected Christ who has resurrected us. You know, I, look, guys, when I was putting these notes together, I honestly prayed that you would get swept up in the joy and the power of the resurrection of Christ. You wouldn't be stuck in the disappointment and the sadness of the cross. Yes, we honor and we revere what happened on the cross, but we don't stay there. 
I pray that every day, this you wouldn't just do this once a year, but every day you would get swept up in the resurrection power of Christ, the movement of the Holy Spirit that allows us to accomplish the work that he has given us to do, to bring the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus into our world. Resurrection is not an event of the past. Resurrection isn't simply a hope for the future to come. Resurrection is a person. He is here. He is alive. 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 You get it? He is alive. He is alive. Hope is alive in Jesus. He he is the place that we lead from. He is the place that we dream from. He is the place that we parent from. He is the place that we pray from. He is the place that we work from. He is the place that we rest from. He is the place that we we rely and trust from. He is the place that our lives operate from. Acts chapter 17. In Him we live and move and have our being. He's alive. He's alive. I've had the um, pleasure. No. I've had the experience of visiting St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And I was like, whoa. And then I was like, ew. Because right in front of me was a glass case with a mummified Pope. And I was like, you've had a bad day. Actually, there was lots of them there. They've all had bad days. <laughs> they all look terrible. We don't, we don't have that with Jesus. We can't even say that when he died on the cross was a bad day for him because the scriptures tell us that with joy he endured because his assignment required death, but his purpose brought about resurrection. Why? That we might have access to God our Father in heaven. Would you shut your eyes, please? Would you just lean into God? We're going we're gonna to wrap up our service this morning by singing that new song that we learned this morning, He's Alive. And Amber was right. There is a treat for everybody as you go out the door. It's chocolate. <laughs> but look, before we do that, I, I, I just, I, I'm compelled. I'm compelled to ask this question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you allowed the very power of the resurrection of Christ that has destroyed the dominion and the power of sin? Have you allowed His immeasurable love and joy and grace and mercy and forgiveness to come into your life? I spoke on Friday. What does it take for that to happen? It takes us to trust Him. But it also takes us to recognize his resurrection. In Romans chapter 10, it says that we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead.
Will you trust the one who conquered sin and death 